0: Hello and welcome to the very first episode of a brand new podcast, Pieces of the People We Loved.
1: It's finally happened.
0: It has indeed. So what, you're probably wondering, is Pieces of the People We Loved. Well, consider it a rose-tinted roller coaster ride through the bands and scenes that changed our lives.
1: Which all sounds quite grand, really. But in other words, it will be a place where we seek to celebrate, to reminisce and to lionise the bands, the artists, the scenes and most importantly, the people who made us who we are today. Which is probably a good place to start. Who even are we? Well, I'm Sarah Kemp, and I'm a blogger, a blagger, and above all else, a huge music fan, with a head full of memories and more than the odd tale to tell.
0: And I'm Rick Martin. Uh, I'm certainly not a blogger, too lazy for that. I definitely have been known to be a bit of a blagger, uh, which came in helpful uh, during my formative years when I worked in the music press, Primarily for the enemy, um, something that might crop up once or twice from here on in.
1: So why are we here then? What's it all about and how's it all going to work?
0: Um, So it's kind of like this. Uh, Well, both of us are kind of eternally still hungry for new music, forever on Spotify, forever downloading new albums from kind of bands, old and new. Um, And we haven't quite retired from gigging yet and festivaling, certainly not in in Sarah's case, I'm kind of in semi-retirement. We've all kind of reached that age where it's difficult to resist the temptation to look back on our kind of more youthful uh, years and times and gigs and scenes and get more than a little bit misty-eyed. Um, I think this is what happens when you kind of get beyond 30.
1: I guess so. And yeah, um, and as, as as Rick says, it's probably not just talking to the bands, but we'll also be looking at people that we, we were there with as well. Um, so people who saw it firsthand from some of the bands itself, obviously, but also the fans, the most important part of the music, um, promoters journos, seedsters, liggers, and anyone else really with a good tale to tell and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there.
0: We'll also occasionally delve into our archives and dust off our old dictaphone tapes to bring you artist interviews from back in the day, some of which have never been heard anywhere before and that's mainly because they've lived in a drawer in my house for kind of the years since I was working on the anime.
1: It's really exciting and I didn't really have any tapes, I used to kind of write mine wherever I could. I was definitely more of a blagger than you are i think so there's probably some good stories to tell in that sense but what i find interesting is that we don't feature in each other's stories at all like we must have been in the same festivals the same gigs around we might have even had the same friends and we don't even realize i can't really remember lots of names from back then unless i was like they were my proper friends so i'm quite excited to kind of uncover whether we were you know what festivals and gigs were at that we might have actually had a conversation together who knows
0: I mean, I think there was a point we might have even lived in the same city because you're from Nottingham.
1: Yeah,
0: I had a year in Nottingham after university. I kind of floated around a few northern and kind of midland cities at the time, claiming to be the enemy correspondent for that city because I happened to have lived there for 10 minutes. So, yeah, I do think (laughs) there are probably some shared experiences that through the medium of this podcast, I think we're probably going to discover.
1: Definitely. Well, so let's get on to the first podcast. And really, while we're both children born in the 80s, we both grew up in the 90s. So really, there was only one place we could start. And we think that that is Britpop. And more specifically, the wars, or not made-up wars, as I think they were, between Blur and Oasis.
0: So we're kind of thinking, you know, it's Euro 96, Jarvis Cocker's playing up front for England... Tony Blair's having Noel Gallagher round number ten for guitar lessons. You know, New Labour, Cool Britannia, kind of all the nonsense montage stuff you you now see on those kind of nostalgia programs about the late uh, to mid, well, the mid to late nineties, I guess.
1: Yeah, all of that.
0: So I think it's fair to say when it comes to Blur and Oasis, we we're quite divided down the middle. I've I've known you a couple of years, and that's one of the things I think I've probably learned. Um, when it comes to the Blur versus Oasis wars, there was probably one side that you were definitely going into bat for, I guess.
1: I'd say a, I wasn't definitely one or the other, but because I'm from the Midlands, I you know luckily I got a bit, of, a bit more of a choice as to who I picked. It wasn't like you; you're from Manchester, you had to be Oasis. You didn't really have a choice. You'd get beat enough if you'd have said you'd gone for Blur. But me, you know, I had I had more of a luxury of being able to say 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 whoever I wanted to. Um, to be honest. I like Oasis. I'm not into them, I'd say. I didn't really grow up um, with them. You know, my stepdad, you know, he was kind of around from when I was about 11 or 12. He was massively into Oasis, so I guess that had a bit of an impact on it. But to be honest, Blur, the Pretty Boys were always always the ones for me, because I used to like growing up in pop music and my first ever crush was Mark Owen and all that kind of stuff. So Damon was probably the first grown up band well, Damon was the first person from a grown-up band to kind of take that crown from Marco. I guess. I can't believe I've just admitted that, but there that's why I probably like Blur. I
0: think we'll come back to this whole who was better looking out of, uh, <laughs> out of Damon and Liam things. I, I don't think many women would probably agree, or, or you know, certain men really? would, would agree on, on the whole Liam versus Damon thing. Okay, I think, but I think, yeah, let, let's nail my colours to the mast here. Um, I think to start, it was definitely Oasis for me. I do think when I was growing up, you know, Liam, Liam and Noel were kind of less... Know rock stars, pop stars, indie stars on the TV, and more kind of like spiritual gods almost, like <laughs> and kind of like the Yin and Yang, I think. Um, they were once called the Poet and the Town Crier, uh, by Pete Doherty. Yeah, you ever seen this YouTube clip? I don't know if, if I've ever shown this to you.
1: I haven't, no, but tell our listeners where you can find it because I want
0: to go. So, if you've never seen this, go on to YouTube, obviously, once you've finished listening to the podcast and search for Pete Doherty Oasis Album, and what you'll find is a clip that MTV were outside I think it was a HMV or an hour price or you know, other high street uh, record shots are available um, I wasn't
1: even around one, I don't worry about it HMV's going down the pan anyway so it doesn't really matter but, uh, Our price <laughs> was
0: definitely around at the time because I know that I bought Be Here Now, they the filmed it on the day that Be Here Now came out in it was August 1996. I know the, I think it was oh, the other this week. this is
1: crazy. The other week we were sat down for lunch and Rick said I remember the exact day that this that I went off to buy this album and I was like, "No, whatever, you don't." And he got it about 4 days out, but I was pretty impressed that he's got such a, a an interesting, let's say, memory of dates and facts, which you guys are probably going to love. I'm the other way around. I can't I can't remember any facts. I remember stories, but not facts. But yeah, sorry, Car- carry so on. So
0: basically an autistic memory of, of stats. But I, I, do, I, do, I do kind of you know, remember the day I went to buy B here now. And anyway, um, Sir Pete Doherty probably does as well. Anyway, the clip on YouTube is Pete Doherty is outside a record shop being filmed by MTV. Eddie Temple Morris, who was like a presenter on MTV at the time, is interviewing fans who are buying the album. And they come across Pete Doherty. They think his delivery of what he says, which I'll come on to in a second, is so good. They ask him to record it again, and they're kind of really impressed. And basically what Pete Doherty says is the reason he's a fan of Oasis is that he subscribes to the Umberto Eco view. Umberto Eco is, I think, a philosopher or something. That Liam's a town crier and Noel is a poet, and that for him is kind of a perfect combination. And actually, to be fair, on Pete Doherty, I think that's kind of a... A kind of really neat summation of of kind of the yin and the yang in that band so yeah i thought mm,
1: interesting. Bit, bit
0: of a mild mild diversion there
1: i really want to know the whole blur versus oasis thing what was it like at school you know being from manchester and you know having such a massive presence of oasis in manchester was there a dominant band at your school i can probably guess the answer but tell me what was it like
0: um so i, I was thinking about this it was probably almost like a, oasis was like a religion at the time and i think there wasn't really a question you know, in my school, or kind of in Manchester, generally, where, where you blur Oasis, you know, it was Oasis. I think for me, it probably helped that I was a Man City fan, they were Man City fans, you know, they, they were the first, I think Oasis was the first album, well, it's the first album I'll admit to of buying, and maybe on Future no, podcasts. No, I'll no, 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 you can't
1: say that. What did, you, what, what did you buy that wasn't Oasis? That so, you don't want to admit to?
0: So, Two Unlimited <laughs> a couple of years oh ago, years God. before, did put out. Uh, I, I was quite into Two Unlimited as a kind of seven no, or no. year old. No,
1: no, 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 no. But um,
0: <laughs> but but you know when I got into serious music at kind of the age of what will I have been ninety five, so nine, it would have been um, Oasis. And, and yet it was to the point that you know I couldn't bring myself to buy a Blur album until about nineteen ninety nine. So I got to thirteen. Before I kind of finally brought myself around to buying a Blur album, which was thirteen.
1: Um, were there were there no limits to your album buying by this point?
0: Right, we're, we're, drop, we're dropping <laughs> we're dropping that as, as an angle. So you know, yeah, in, t- in terms of Oasis, you know, it was something that you know I, everyone in my class who was into music was into Oasis. I remember first getting uh, it was What's the Story Morning Glory? Was the first album I got, which is, it was Christmas 1995. Uh, I got it on tape. And, you know, a lot of my memories, I suppose, of those days, you know, growing up in, in Manchester, lying upstairs in my bedroom with, with What's Story Morning Glory on kind of a constant loop, you know, and when I'd kind of worn that one out, it was discovering the fact that they had another album, definitely maybe, that, that came before. Um, you know, and I suppose just to, to kind of... You know, paint a picture for any millennials who might be listening to that now. This now, you know, whippersnappers.
1: We are technically millennials, by the way. This is. Well, we don't. I don't don't think we are. but
0: but, I don't think we really count as millennials. You know, you didn't have YouTube in those days. You didn't have Spotify. You know, you had.
1: Didn't have a mobile phone. A
0: mobile phone. You had. God, we are sounding old now. You had (laughs) tapes. You know, you had stuff that you taped off the radio
1: and if it messed up if the tape messed up you were screwed you could never hear it again
0: well exactly you'd have to go and go and buy another one um you know and it was watching it was knowing things like the the new oasis video was going to be on top of the pops that friday or on live and kicking that saturday morning or whatever um so so it was it was very much um yeah, it, it very much felt like a, a religious thing. You know, you, in, in Manchester, you, you, there wasn't a choice between Blur and Oasis for me. You were, you were always kind of Oasis.
1: Did you Do you think people got criticised? I mean, did you ever come across anyone who was a Blur fan? And did they ever get criticised? I can imagine it was one of those things that there's probably a lot of closet Blur fans back in the day, but they weren't actually allowed to tell people that they were Blur fans for the risk of getting beaten up.
0: <laughs> I think what where I probably started to discover Blur fans was... Um, And this may come out further in in further episodes of the podcast. So I grew up in Manchester up until the age of, I think it was 10 or 11. And then we moved to Eastbourne. My dad's job moved to Eastbourne. Um, And I went from, you know, northern kind of upbringing and childhood to suddenly kind of being transplanted into the south. And I think when you move to the south of England, you realise that maybe that people's music horizons extend beyond just Oasis and The Verve, um, uh, uh, you know, and kind of Northern... Become
1: a bit bit softer and a bit less arrogant, perhaps. Yeah, yeah,
0: potentially, <laughs> potentially. And, uh, yeah, I think that's probably the point that I did start to open up to the idea of, of becoming a Blur fan, probably because are surrounded by people who were into more than just Oasis.
1: But Blur are bloody good, this is the thing. They're really good, you shouldn't just... This is what kind of annoys me and riles me up about the whole kind of rivalry between the two bands. It's because, yes, one's from the north, yes, one's from the south. Just because they're from different parts of the UK doesn't mean one's better than the other. And, and also, I think they're very, very different bands. Their music is completely different. Um, sorry, I'm just getting on a bit of a rant here, but I just, I just don't think I like the whole... It's almost like patriotic for your own city. It's, I think it's a bit stupid. Well,
0: a couple of things going to go into. Number one as we'll come back to. I'm actually as big a Blur fan now as I am Oasis, so we can, but we can return Good. to that. You have to remember at the time though that it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily the fans that were driving this rivalry. It was the bands themselves and
1: the media. It was the
0: media, the music press. I'm sure I heard somewhere that the labels kind of agreed to release the singles on the same week. There oh was,
1: yeah, it was all. It was all. It was all. Kind of made up and and, and forced because that was going to make them sell more records, right?
0: And I loved all that. You know, I loved. And the they fact loved all
1: that as well. They definitely loved all that.
0: I, you um, know, I love I love the fact that um, you know the uh, the iconic Enemy cover where it was the uh, the the box the way they kind of set it, Oasis versus Blur. It's on like a boxing poster. If you haven't seen it, go and have a look on on you know on Google Images for that because it is one of kind of the iconic covers. It's always funny now to watch back. I think it was on like the one o'clock news know, quite a staid, I can't remember which presenter it was, but one of the kind of stoic, staid presenter, you know, today pop bands Blur <laughs> and Oasis have released a single, you know, it it really did become big news. When was the last time recently you, you watched the news and they were talking about who was number one in the chart, being honest, yeah, I probably yeah, couldn't yeah. tell you right now who's number one, yeah, probably someone yeah. like Dua Lipa or someone like that, but anyway, you know, it,
1: it, it Good
0: singer. Yeah, great, great singer, Stage kid, school. kids, kids, kids love her, my kids love her, um, you know, it, 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 it was one of the... I think when you've got less media, which you did at the time, you know, a kind of nascent internet, um, you know, certainly not social media, that when you have a story that breaks, everywhere covers it, and it suddenly probably feels even bigger than it actually is.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right, actually. I think I could be quite wrong with that. I'll, get, I'll step down off my high horse um, and probably disagree with my first statement. No, you're right, and I think that was part of the, the magic of that era, the whole era, and everything that we're going to be talking about, really. I think we've lost that magic with... I think we probably need to do a whole other show on things like Spotify and, and streaming and, and how that's completely changed and revolutionised in a good or bad way. Which we don't see as, I don't see as bad. I thing. don't see it as a bad way, but it's. It, I think it takes away the she, takes away the sheen off some of the kind of stuff that we thought was, was good back in the day. So it, we don't have scenes anymore. We don't have, the, things aren't public knowledge as much as they used to be. And I think you've picked up a, on a good point there in that, I do follow the, do follow new music because I quite like everything. I'm not just I'm not just into rock music or indie or dance or anything like that. I, I quite like a, a mixture of everything. But I would have no idea who's been number 1 the whole of this year. It's just not something that is is you know you used to listen to the top 40 on a Sunday. Mm. It used to be a thing that you'd sit down Families would sit down to listen to together on a Sunday t- for a Sunday roast. I don't even think it's even on a Sunday anymore. It
0: would feel like a victory if your favourite band had a number one.
1: Yeah, and uh, you
0: would yeah. f- kind of feel like you were part of it.
1: What I really want to know now is, have you seen any of them live? I mean, you must have done, but what are your memories from the very first time you saw them?
0: Um, so this is quite a pertinent question in this context. So, despite the fact that I've just sat here saying you know Oasis were my favourite childhood band, you know Blur versus Oasis. If Oasis were the Protestants and Blur were the Catholics, I was a a, a vehement Protestant. The first band I saw live was actually Blur. Um, What? So, yeah, 1999.
1: First first band you've
0: ever seen live was Blur? First band I ever saw live was was Blur. So, as I mentioned, I moved down to Eastbourne when I was uh, about 10, 11, uh, in 1997. Blur were playing at the Brighton Centre. I think it was... I think it was late 1999, kind of Christmas, November, December time. And they'd just done a best-of album where, rather than what a lot of bands do with best-ofs, where they kind of pick, uh, you know, the, the main hits and they pick some kind of other favourite tracks and they mould them into kind of a logical order that maybe isn't the timeline order that they released, Blur did a best-of that was literally just single one to their their latest single which I think at the time was no distance left to run off the 13 album and again this was a few months after I'd got Blur's 13 album and realized that you were allowed to be a Blur fan as well as an Oasis fan. I think it was probably Tender Coffee and TV um the probably good those, stuff, those I think. that kind it's of brilliant. broadened my horizons a little bit the idea you of have a gospel choir on a song yeah. that sort of thing. Um so that was that was my first gig I went with my dad who actually came to quite a lot of my Um, early gigs I think at the age of 13 I probably couldn't have got away with going to Brighton um, on my own or even with with mates Um, yeah I remember I remember it being being you know a great gig and I have seen Blur since I think two or three times I definitely saw them a couple of years ago and they did Hyde Park yeah uh, with I went uh, to that
1: one. That was that was more than a couple of years ago. That was about four or five years ago. Mm, no, I think that was about was twenty. They? Oh no, they 20, did it again, didn't they? Twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. Yeah, so it, again, yeah. yeah so it was, it was the around the Magic one, Magic Whip
0: came out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Oasis. I've I've seen them countless times. Um, first time I saw them would have been two thousand and two. So to kind of continue with my life story with this, after I lived in Eastbourne, uh, we moved in ninety seven. Uh, my dad's job moved again. Um, back up to Manchester, so we moved back up to Manchester, a slightly different part of Manchester than where I grew up. Uh, and I went to, did my last couple of years in high school in Manchester and then went to college. So it was my college year, so kind of 2000 and, I'm going to say it's 2002, they played Lancashire cricket, County Cricket Ground. To be very, very clear, they didn't call it Old Trafford because obviously there's a link with Man United, so they refused to say <laughs> yeah. they were playing it at, at Old Trafford. Um, and that I think that gig sticks in my memory for quite a Few reasons, you know. On the on the one hand, you know, it's a band that I'd lionized, I'd deified, you know, I'd I'd uh, I'd hero worshipped for, you know, six seven years to that point. So seeing that band live for the first time is always going to kind of blow you away. And musically, um, it was great. I think they were kind of at the height of their powers in a way in in kind of those kind of early two thousand years, or certainly the height of their powers compared to maybe what they ended up doing kind of in the late two thousand when they split up. Um, but more than that, it, I mean, the scenes I saw at that gig, um, it, it, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. It, it was like a it was like football terraces from the 1980s and the 1990s, you know. What do you
1: um, mean?
0: So I kind of make no bones about the fact I don't have a lot in common with a lot of kind of Oasis fans. It's people who aren't into music who go to Oasis gigs.
1: Just lager lads.
0: But, I mean, you or think...
1: Not, I mean, I don't know, I've never been to an Oasis gig, so especially not back in that time, so I would have... Really, no idea what goes on at those kind of gigs.
0: I mean, th- think think of lager Lads and then think kind of times ten. I mean,
1: so like football because <laughs> the reason I don't like football again, it's not a good thing to say when you're around Rick because that's one of his other passions in life. But I personally don't really like going to football matches because I think it just it becomes less about the football and more about. And, and this is probably very general, very very, very generalising point So sorry if I'm offending anyone here, but the ones I've been to certainly. Um, are more about people getting drunk and fighting than it is about watching the football. I, I, I reckon see, it could have been the same sort of thing for, for a well, Same
0: for this. I, I disagree with you on the football point. We'll come back to that. Or maybe we won't. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the main things I remember are I mean, you see pints get thrown at gigs now, the odd pint here or there. I don't know if you've seen the scenes from Hyde Park when England were playing yep. at the World Cup, and when England scored, Isn't the sky... Like a fountain,
1: water fountain of yeah. beer. But Disgusting. Im- imagine
0: that the whole way through, and, and the likelihood is a lot of that ain't beer. Yeah, Oasis no, gig, no right? thanks. Plates than of beans. I remember watching what? someone buy a jacket potato and beans during the gig, <laughs> have one bite of the jacket potato, and then just fling the, the, the plate oh of beans. I mean, I've never known crowd crushes like it, so I went in um, a new pair of Nike trainers, I did leave with those two night trainers, but for the majority of the gig, I only had one on my foot because <laughs> um, we were kind of halfway down the crowd. I think when they came on, the crowd surged one way, my leg went the other, a shoe came off.
1: <laughs>
0: How uh, did you get it back? So I hung, hung around till sort of till after the gig finished, and everyone kind of leaves. I I, I hung back. and just to kind get of looked. Back. I looked amongst oh, the debris and, and kind of there it was. Um, oh. But, I mean, that completely is one wrecked. of the things
1: that makes me laugh so much is when you leave gigs and you find I, went to, I once went to a Kings of Leon gig and it made me laugh so much because someone threw a shoe at the bassist and he was so annoyed so peed up that he put it Instead of giving it back to the guy, he was like, right, sod this guy. Put it on the the, the speaker at the back. It was like, um, whoever just threw their shoe, yeah, have fun getting home tonight. Or something, to the, some words to that effect. But ever since then, I've found it absolutely hilarious seeing people kind of like waddle out of gigs with just one shoe on. And then just like a, a limp looking sock that's all dirty on the bottom. I just find it hilarious. So I'm glad you got yours back because... We, I just, I just remember thinking stuff.
0: during the gig I'm going to have to go home here with one <laughs> shoe <shield>. on
1: <laughs> and it was raining you know this this
0: this was exactly um,
1: it's hilarious
0: um, so yeah so that, that was kind of my first memory of, of seeing Oasis um, and then kind of saw them pretty much every tour from then on I started writing for the enemy in 2002 a few months um, after I I think at that time. Um, I'd just been contacted by the enemy about potentially becoming one of their new writers and we can come on to all that in a kind of future podcast, but um, I guess from from that year on I was lucky that I could usually get guestless tickets for Oasis gigs, so I remember when they did uh, Manchester City's Etihad Stadium, which is the old Commonwealth uh, Games Stadium in Manchester, I think this was 2005, and they did two or three nights at the Etihad and I managed to get a ticket for every night. I kind of learned my lesson. Every night, wow. So, uh, yeah, I went. I went for the full three because you know why not? Why not? Yeah. Um, although, what I remember from that gig is, you know, exactly the same scenes unfolding on the pitch. You know, Oasis fans are animals, and those animals haven't changed. But I was in the, you know, what John Lennon would probably call the uh, the posh seats, rattling my jewellery. Oh. Good. Um, so I was kind of witnessing all this happening. So it was actually more entertaining. To kind of be being in it. Yeah, to be sat enough. watching it from above from a safe distance, fair enough. than kind of being uh, in amongst it.
1: Do you think there's any bands these days? I mean, maybe not these days necessarily, but over the last sort of five to ten years, that would have the same reaction from a crowd, or do you think that's completely just died, died a death along with Oasis? Not Oasis have died a death, you know what I mean, but that kind of place in time. Had, it had its place in time for those kind of fans. I mean, you could probably liken it to sort of Kasabian, I guess, but probably not on yeah, the same scale. Yeah, and, and I,
0: I kind of have this thing about where I, I do go and see Kasabian once a year. I got a ticket last week for their, the gig they're doing at Brixton next month, and the, probably the reason I go and I have kind of deeply, psychologically, you know, gone into this, and maybe I need to go and see a psychiatrist about this, is it <laughs> well, kind of... What's
1: going here, then?
0: Um, you know, the, for me, they are the closest... Band around these days to Oasis, and going to see them is a little bit like a stopgap until Oasis reform. No, I don't. I don't love everything Casabian do, but I do think in terms of energy, in terms of um, kind of, I almost call it, you know, and and this this is probably a bit offensive, but like a holiday from thinking. I go to those gigs and I'm like, right, you know, I normally listen to. You are going
1: to get a lot of death threats now from Cassabian Yeah, Oasis yeah, it's very if friends. any of
0: them hear this. Like, but I, I mean, I mean this in a nice way. You know, it's it's it, you, you leave your brain at the door when you go and see Casabian or Oasis because it's more about, um, you know, it, it, it it's more about throwing yourself around and, ha- and having a pint and, and not thinking, not stroking your chin. Uh, you know how they've tuned the guitar a certain way it's it's more just kind of about the attitude isn't that's it that's
1: probably why i haven't been to see either of them then i i actually hated Kasabian with a passion when they came out as well for the same reasons that i probably I didn't not say hated oasis because a lot of people around me loved oasis no one around me loved cassabian so i could kind of get away with hating them i didn't like the whole oh god just attitude that they used to bring i don't know why i think i, I must have i don't know i been beaten with a nice brush when I was a kid or something because I don't like rudeness and I don't like arrogance and it's just something but but ironically in my everyday life I quite like that so I don't know why I think I was probably just jealous of the fact that they had a bit of a, a stage to play on and they could just they could get away with their horrible arrogance and that's what
0: I think he's lacking in music to be honest characters with arrogance Some well, of Alex
1: Turner I mean he I think I, I like him because I think he strikes a good balance of arrogant and just plain adorable so another thing i really want to know is obviously we've talked about you seeing them a lot um i've i've seen Blur a couple of times I was, the first time i ever saw them was in hyde park uh, the one before i can't remember which which time what, what year i just sorry i don't have a date a, a memory for dates but it was definitely about five or six years ago in hyde park i think when they first kind of came back um after a bit of a hi- hiatus and that gig was to me was brilliant and uh, the, the standout song there was Coffee and TV. And then also, um, what's, the, what's the song where they got that dude from EastEnders coming on to do it? Oh, part life. part life. Part that's the one. How can I not remember the name of that? Um, but I found, he came on stage and he did it. And I, I don't really watch EastEnders. I did as, a bit as a kid, but I just found that to be quite quite fun. And the the crowd were going bonkers and mental. But they weren't throwing beer everywhere, I'll have to say. Um,
0: polite crowd there.
1: Polite, yeah, polite crowd. But maybe that's what you need. these days the second time i saw them was in australia and actually the magic whip became a bit of a um uh, a bit of a big point in my life because i was in this foreign country um living on my own not really enjoying my life there and the magic whip had come out and i just used to listen to it every day on my way to work singing along to it started knowing all the words and then they came to play um, I went to see them and, and I just remember this kind of massive, massive kind of disco ball that they had on stage when they were playing one of the songs. Um, and it was just mesmerizing and just kind of really, to me epitomized my relationship, I guess with blur in the fact that I was so far away from home, but they were making me feel safe where I was um, and just kind of making me happy. And, and it just reinforces the fact that I, I, I really, really love them and I've grown to love them more, more and more as well as they've gone on. So yeah, I love all the early stuff, but equally, I probably love the Magic Whip the most out of everything they've ever done.
0: Pyongyang is good on that. Pyongyang,
1: I mean, it's all good, and it's all so emotive, and just you listen to it, and it just brings like gives you goose pimples. It's just such, it's so good.
0: But I think what was I was most impressed with Magic Whip is that so many bands come back, and they kind of um, they record an album to promote the tour to get people to come to the gigs. They'll curse, they'll play one or two cursory tracks at the gig, but the gig is more about kind of the greatest hits. I think in that album they're, they're one of the few bands that came back with an album that kind of did really sit alongside some of the best stuff. In, in fact it was a better album than Think Tank which was the last album they did before they went away. I
1: completely agree.
0: Although admittedly that was without Graham Coxon so that kind of you yeah. know Graham Coxon is for me we talked about the yin and yang of Noel and Liam. Yeah. It's a very different yin and yang in in Blur but I think I think Graham Coxon for me is probably the one that knits it all together in, in that band from a kind of creative sense.
1: Yeah. No, like well, ooh, interesting point. I'm not sure I am not sure I do I agree. I don't know, I just think they're very different they're very different creatively. I think very, very different creatively. Actually going back to Graham Coxon, I um remember not ah oh, he that song, what was it? No 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 no. Did it? What's it called? Freaking, Freaking out. out. I loved that song. I thought that was brilliant. But it wasn't Blur. It wasn't Blur, and he needed to come back, and need to, they needed to do the Magic Whip. And I hope they come back and do more um, in the future because they're just brilliant. Um, but I guess what I want to know now is: Have you met either of the bands? And if so, what were they like?
0: Um, yes and no. To this, so <laughs>
1: I mean, you have or you haven't? So what's let's well, let's
0: start with Oasis. So I always had this thing, you know, and this probably isn't. Probably why I'm not a music journalist now, to be honest. Probably why I got I got kicked out, kicking and screaming after ten years. You know, the only people who intimidated me in the entire music industry, the only person, you know, the only two people who I'd have really, uh, I would not say I avoided, but I never kind of aggressively went after interviewing them was Noel and Liam. Probably because, you know, because they, the say th- they say they say don't meet don't meet your idols. Yeah. Of course, if I if I've been commissioned, I remember when I worked on the news desk and we got a Noel Gallagher interview in. And I kind of had that moment where I thought, well, I could do it, or I could give it to one of the, um, you know, one of the kind of the the key writers, the the go-to writers, the Barry Nicholsons, the, the t- oh, I think Tim Jones was around at that time, Mark Beaumonts. And in the end, I uh, partly for time purposes because didn't have the time to do it, but partly because I thought this guy's going to nail it. I did give it to to Mark Beaumont. Liam, I mean, you have to remember Liam used to was famous for Kung Fu kicking enemy journalist he wants to kung fu kicks an NME <laughs> journalist so it's one of those where I never I never met Liam but I, I, I never saw that as necessarily a a bad thing that he'll kind of always live on that pedestal he's, he's never yeah. told me to f off yeah, so you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Um, I have met bonehead quite randomly bonehead who was obviously the original rhythm guitarist in Oasis, left in about, I think it was 1999. Obviously, if you remember the Oasis that finished in 2009, there was only really Noel and Liam that were there from the original lineup, and there was legal battles of the old drummer, etc. Yep. But anyway, you know, Bonehead was there from, well, he was in the band before Noel. So when Oasis was the Rain in the early 90s, it was basically Liam and Bonehead that the band was, was built around. Um, so I, I weirdly met Bonehead a few times because uh, when I was growing up in, as a kind of music journalist in Manchester in the kind of mid, mid-2000s, mid I got invited on as a guest onto Terry Christian's BBC Radio Manchester uh, radio show. It was like a weekly music show that uh, a mate of mine, Conrad uh, Murray, was the uh, kind of co-presenter on. Um, and Bonehead was also randomly the other co-presenter of the show. So uh, probably two or three times I went on, you know, reviewed local singles and just chatted about what was going on in the NME um, at that time, and, and Bonehead was the um, the kind of co-presenter. So I met Bonehead. And then in terms of the other members of the band, I, I came, I guess the closest I came to meeting them was on their kind of final, what became their final tour in 2009. So this is when I was living in uh, Sheffield. Uh, I once got a call from a guy called Reverend, who was in Bank of Reverend The Makers, who I knew because Sheffield was quite a small, Sort of music city, everyone kind of knows everyone in the kind of music industry there. And he said, um, I'll never forget this. He rang me and said, I've got a load of guest passes for Oasis at the arena. Do you want to come along? We're going to hang out afterwards.
1: What a champion of the world he was.
0: Heavyweight champion, (laughs) yeah. Uh, So I went backstage at that gig. um, And what I remember doing, because, you know, we talked about my kind of football stuff and I was that way inclined, there was a football. In the backstage area, so rather than try and interview any of the bands, I thought I'd just do keepy uppies and try and show off in that way. So I was doing like keepy uppies. Why would
1: you want to show off to them? Why would you want to stand there and go, "Oh, I know how I can get them to notice me. I'm going to do some keepy uppies. They're going to be well impressed." Well, this going through your head.
0: It's always been said in Manchester, you either get out through music and football, and and you know, I never quite made it as a footballer. Probably, probably should have done. I, I'm am not talking to someone should who's you? even who's even going to yeah, going <laughs> to no. you know. Um, I, you know, unfortunately I discovered beer and kebabs before I could really kinda kick that on. But um so yeah, so I remember doing Keep You Up Backstage at an, an Oasis gig and that that's c- but Noel and Liam weren't even at their own after show. You know, that they, they, they didn't show up to their own after shows in those days. It was more the B team of Gem Archer and Andy Bell who were like the guitarist and, yeah. and the bassist. So they they were around but uh, and in terms of blur, uh yeah. So I met Damon Albarn, I did, interviewed him once for the enemy. Um it's quite a big kind of interview for me at the time, I guess. I'd just got a staff job in the office on the news desk as the news editor. This was in 2009. And I think when you arrive in a job like that, especially um, when it's your kind of first staff job, you're not necessarily worked up to it through the kind of... I was a freelance, but I'd never been in the office as, a say, the news reporter or yeah. the deputy news editor. you kind of like, I need to land some big exclusives to kind of justify why I'm here. Um so I was just ringing around any PR I could think of um for look you know I need I need something big for this week and Damon Blurs uh PR came back and said he would be happy to do a, a quick interview at the time to be fair he was promoting his I think it was Africa Express he was doing at the time Gorillas were doing something as well so we kind of leaned it on interviews and it and we did do the interview on what he was up to with Africa Express the good the bad and the queen in reality I was going there for a blur exclusive where yeah. I could get one and we did get, you know, a little snippet of a blur exclusive that they, you know, they weren't
1: finished.
0: So we fancy another crack at America. So at the time they were inactive. So that
1: to you is seen as we're gonna get back together. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly uh, what a journalist puts on it, isn't it? They give you a slight little thing, you s- slight they dangle a bit of a carrot and you bite the whole carrot off and, and yeah, what so was your headline in the magazine after that?
0: It was we fancy another crack at America, I think it well, we've been recording new songs as well. They admitted they'd recorded a new song. That they were gonna re- release because the Notting Hill Carnival was under threat of being stopped. Yeah. They went and recorded a spoken word track with a guy called Michael Horowitz. and then the reason they didn't put it out was because the carnival got reinstated. So it's one of those blur tracks that will probably live in, in the vaults um, forever. So yes, yeah, so I, I met I met Damon. I've, I've met I've met Graham as well. I interviewed Graham at the Enemy Awards. Um, uh, and what about you? Have you? Uh, have you? Have you?
1: Um, I've never met Liam or Noel, sadly, or not sadly. Um, I don't think I'd really have much of a um, an, a pleasant experience if I met them because they might punch me because I tell them I don't like them. Um, but yeah, no, I've met um, randomly actually. Met Dave from Blur, uh, who's the drummer. few years ago so I've got a blog as probably people know I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't even think it's relevant to this but um, it was for some reason I was a a Microsoft uh, ambassador at the time and it was probably about five or six years ago yeah so when before really Instagram and and blogging really took off so I was kind of right quite at the beginning didn't have a massive following but had a following big enough and an engagement levels big enough for uh, um, the PR team at Microsoft to go right let's get this girl on board so um, it was part of a program, and one of the one of the things that they did was invited us all to an apartment, like a penthouse apartment somewhere in um, Victoria, I think it was. That they kitted out with with all of Microsoft um, kind of stuff, which was really really cool. And they were, it's actually the are the, the the discussion that we were talking about that night was whether music streaming has had an positive or negative impact on the music industry and dave was there um as i think one of the friends of the owners of the pr agency kind of just got him along and said oh come on dave can you come and help us out and have a have a chat about this obviously really in, re- interesting discussion and got chatting to him and a couple of other bloggers at the end of it um and so yeah met him um which was kind of really really interesting person to meet actually um i i'm not not really starstruck because I wasn't It's uh, only the drummer, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, not, not not only the drummer. And he's the also, fourth most
0: famous out of that band. Oh,
1: yeah, I know, but you know, we could argue that I'm the second most famous out of this podcast lineup. So, you know, it's Still it's, a good place to be. Yeah, you know, but I'd never want to be the first to be honest. Um, but no, so I met him um and then I also met up with him when they came and came to Australia which was pretty cool. So I took him around the city before the gig and bumped into Graham and um, Alex, actually. So And I was a bit starstruck when meeting Alex because I always had a bit of a crush on Alex. I know, it's, it's a t- cliche thing, isn't it? I just think he's got this presence of, I don't give a crap about you, um, which girls tend to like swoon over for some reason. Um, so lo and behold, we bumped into them and they were looking for a Chinese restaurant. Um, so I lived there, so I was able to point them in the right direction. Um, and then off they toddled off on their way, and then I carried on walking around the city with Dave, had a coffee, and kind of sent him on his way to do a sound check, and then mess up with him later. But yeah, so I have in a weird way actually. But I think most of my stories will come off. I've met a lot of bands, but not in a traditional way. <laughs> so I think you had an in to meet the bands, um, and I think there'll be lots more stories around this. And I think that's quite where we kind of differ a little bit, and why where it gets quite interesting is that i apart from bar a couple of bands that um i unofficially went to interview i just kind of met them by hanging out with them blagging 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 just yeah just kind of being well this is a discussion we have to have another time because i don't think i was a scenester i was on the periphery of the scenesters i was hanging out with the scenesters but not hanging out with them if you know what i mean i was doing what i had to do to get to the people i wanted to hang around with which was the bands because i was just kind of in awe of them and you know i ended up coming down to london i wanted to be a music journalist i wanted your job which is quite interesting in itself um
0: grab it now if you want
1: no i don't want it anymore (laughs) i'm all right i'm happy with doing what i'm doing now um but yeah i wanted to do that and I studied journalism at Uni in London. I knew I needed to get to London because that's kind of where I wanted to be and that's Yellow what I wanted Brit to Rogue, do. Dick that's exactly it, yeah. yeah. And I've ended up doing something completely different. I never had you no know, somewhere I never thought I'd be, but somewhere I equally I love as much. But um you know, I started wanting to be an army journalist, and actually got a couple of articles published in Dazed and Confused magazine as an eighteen-year-old student, which I thought was pretty good. And then that's at that point, it was almost like I've done it now, so I'm going to not do that anymore. So just completely changed the course of my career which was probably a positive thing. But also, I still got to meet everyone and kind of hang out in the scenes that I wanted to hang out in, so it wasn't all bad. <laughs>
0: so you say you weren't a scene star. I think you were with we were in a scene within a scene, is the way I look yeah. at it. Yeah, you yeah, thought yeah, you yeah. weren't the scene, but you were actually the scene on the on the kind of fringe of the scene.
1: I was definitely in the scene, but not in the scene. If I'd have met you at the
0: time, I'm sure I'd have thought you were in the scene. You
1: might have done, by what I dress like, because I looked like a typical indie kid, but I don't think, I, know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't speak to. I was very shy. I was a very very shy person, so I didn't really speak to a lot of people. I just kind of used to like putting myself in the situations and panicking a bit, because I, I didn't didn't re- realize at the time. But I was anxious nearly every day of my life then back then because I used to be in situations that I wasn't quite comfortable, never comfortable, and never ever ever felt comfortable. But I loved being it there at the same time because it was just so magical to me. It was such a magical place to be. Why wouldn't I want to be there? Why wouldn't I want to put myself in that situation? But you said that you
0: wanted my job. I mean, that isn't far removed from how I felt. Doing the job as a... You know, I I started music journalism quite young. I was 16 when I started on the enemy. By kind of 18, 19, I was getting sent off to do interviews. And, you know, I used to have this kind of recurring thought in my head of, I better not screw this up. This has kind of happened a bit early for me. And I am quite naturally a shy person, but I'm a shy person who can who can kind of cover up the shyness through appearing confident, you know, mm-hmm. appearing a bit more confident than they am. And you know, and I would have to psych my for those interviews, I wouldn't be like, you know, the the kid in in Almost Famous who just kind of strolls in, does the interview, strolls out again. I'd have to go and really do my research before I'd have to know everything about them. I would psych myself up to go and do it. And it wouldn't feel comfortable. The good bit was when you then picked up the magazine the week after. And your piece had that gone in. in. Yeah. The actual bit of doing it, you know, as much as you can, you can look back through those rose tinted spectacles that we're wearing while doing this podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly, I, it, it was not in necessarily always enjoyable at the time. It was quite stressful. I bet, I bet
1: It was horrible. I bet it was horrible. The, the few interviews that I did do, and I, it, they were crap. I mean, we'll talk about them in another time, but they were absolutely rubbish. And as much as you know, I, I didn't prepare because I didn't really. A, I didn't know the interviews were ever going to happen until they happened. So how could I prepare? And B, I just wasn't that kind of person. I was very, very, very spontaneous, and nothing I ever did was about preparation. I mean, that all had to change based on the career that I've got into, but that just wasn't me.
0: So let's just let's just round off with kind of the where we where we started, Blur, Oasis. Yeah. You know, we talked about our memories of of them starting out and us the first gigs we went to, the first time maybe we met them. Um, do you, are you still a fan now? Do you still listen to the albums?
1: Yeah, I mean, I listen to, obviously I listen to Blur. I, the Magic Whip is still, in fact, straight away after this, I'm gonna go and put the Magic Whip on and listen to the thing from start to finish um, and sit there with a smile on my face while I'm working. Um, Oasis, the only time I ever really hear that now is when people sing it at karaoke, <laughs> which is quite a sad thing. Do you still listen to stuff?
0: Yeah, so I guess Oasis, I will always return to. I, I was talking to someone the other day about, you know, what sort of music you into, and I must have like layers, and I have like the classics, and then kind of the stuff that's a bit more transient. So I might listen to a new Horrors album when it comes out, and then three months later, it's not getting a, getting a daily play. You know, Oasis is that bedrock that that you'll always, you know, I, that will always be on kind of constant rotation for me. Admittedly, you know, be, uh, you know, definitely maybe through to to be here now. Probably not much. Uh, beyond that, you know, similar, similar with Blur, it's more songs. I think I probably haven't in this podcast gone into the Blur side of things in terms of the songs I'm into. You know, uh, Oily Water, massive fan of. It. It's one of the kind of I would say not lesser known because Blur fans will know it, but one of the ones that doesn't get that much rotation. It's on Some Modern Life Is Rubbish. You know, Bits of Coffee uh, of Thirteen, Coffee and TV, mm-hmm. Tender. Um, so yes, th- I think for me, they'll always be kind of a, a bedrock of, of of my music collection i can't see a point where i'd ever stop listening to them um but the only kind of final thing to really think about is you know do we think that blur and or oasis will ever come back is is one more likely to to come back and, and play again than the other? i
1: would think the obvious one that's more likely is blur they're all still friends <laughs> you know um i don't think they ended the magic whip on a negative note i think they ended it on a positive note in the sense that people it was well received people actually really enjoyed it why would you not want to come back again after that? Or do they want to leave on a high? Who knows? But I guess I guess that they are the kind of people that would never really um, want to close the chapter of that part of their life. I think that they're probably going to want to keep it alive somehow.
0: And it's funny you say that. When I, inter- when I did that Damon interview back in 2011, you kind of used that analogy for Grillers. He said, you know, I've Grillers finished. And obviously, Grillers is the other band that Damon's in. I've put the book down. I've put a bookmark in it. It doesn't mean I'm not going to carry on reading the book. And I think that's kind of almost Damon's, Damon Albarn's approach to his band's overall. I think I don't, I don't think he, from that conversation, what I got is he doesn't really think of it as, you know, the band is is the band is finished forever. To him, anything is kind of yeah. possible. Especially now that him and him and Graham are friends again, which was kind of the, I think the important thing about the last couple of reformations is that you know they're, they're falling out in kind of the mid 2000s obviously graham left before they put out think tank the last album i don't think he appeared on it the album wasn't particularly well received probably because he wasn't on it um you know so I, yeah i do i do think blur probably the more likely the two. oasis i mean it's almost impossible to say isn't it day in day out you get either you know Liam, liam's having another pop at noel you hear, I hear through grapevines now and again of, oh, you know, actually, they are meeting up, they've been meeting up at the mum's house at Christmas and whatever.
1: Let's face it, if they need the money in one day, they're going to do it, aren't they? But they probably don't ever need the money, so they might not ever do it. They don't, they seem, they strike me, so they're on the complete opposite side, spectrum. They strike me as the kind of people who, if you fall out with someone, you've fallen out with them for life. There's no There's no getting around that. And I don't think any any kind of praise or whatever they get from a reference reforming would kind of make them do it. I think but, but only if they need money and I don't think they're But okay. they're
0: siblings. I think I think it's different if you fall out with this si- Yeah, but it's
1: different if you fall out with a sibling my my dad fell out with his sibling for sixteen years the only thing that got them back together was a funeral. My mum has fallen out with her brother, and they'll never talk again. They will never talk again. I mean, it's not my mum's fault; it's her fault, his fault. But you know, they will never talk again. Sibling rivalry can be worse than anything else.
0: And it's funny you mentioned funeral because now I think about the last kind of big reformation was the Stone Roses, and I'm going off tangent here. And then we will bring it back. But um, you know, they said that hell would freeze over before the Stone Roses would reform. You know, John Squire made that artwork that said, you know, uh, hell will freeze over before I desecrate the grave of the pop group, you know, the Stone Roses. It was a funeral, it was John Squire and Ian Brown meeting at a funeral that started the cogs turning of those two getting back together. So I think for me, if the Stone Roses can reform, knowing the bad blood there was between, you know, between John and and, and, and Ian in that band, I don't think you rule anything out with Oasis. What I would say though, is with kind of Liam back on top with his solo career at the moment, you know, smashing arenas and, and getting decent festival slots and Noel kind of now comfortably he's, he's kind of in quite a comfortable spot where he doesn't headline big festivals but he gets enough kind of big festival work and sells enough albums that, that he's not going to be short of a bob or two that yeah it's probably not an immediate thing but I, I, I still kind of have that that quiet hope that, that it will happen and it and it It'll be biblical if it happens. It will be biblical. (laughs) I can't wait
1: to see your expression when, um, well, if they ever announce it. You would have seen
0: nothing nothing like it.
1: So I guess that's probably a really good place to wrap it up, isn't it? Um, We've had some really good stories there and some really, just touching on a few memories that we've both got. Um, There's so much more to go, so I kind of really hope you guys all listen. Stick with us.
0: It feels like, yeah, kind of the tip of the iceberg. And as we said earlier in the podcast, I mean we're both learning these stories about each other for the first time as well you know this isn't yep. uh this this isn't some scripted run through through our lives you know genuinely we're actually quite interested in what each other was was up to you know 10 uh, 15 years ago and also i want to say it's not just about us we do want you know listeners to get involved if you have you know if you have a tale to tell if you listen to one of the podcasts you know we future podcasts. we will read podca- them out we will read them, <laughs> we'll out. Read we, them out you know th- this is this what is we as, want. this is much about you know you you'll find a lot of music podcasts out there that that boast having big interviews with bands and obviously we're gonna try and get a few of them in there if we can, you know, and uh you know, and, and record labels and that sort of thing. But really for us it's as much about the fans who are there and seeing it through your eyes as, as it is you know kind of wittering through our own definitely our own own and we
1: want to get you on you know if you've got an amazing story we want to get you on the podcast we want to interview you we want to hear your stories about it as well because that's what this whole thing is going to be built up around it's about storytelling around a period of our lives
0: so it's like this if you've liked what you've heard today and we hope you did um why not subscribe to the podcast through kind of the usual platforms if you can give us a five star rating on itunes that really helps um and, you know, and, and, and otherwise, I guess all this says is, is, you know, thank you for listening and we'll kind of see you next time.